Hello, and welcome once again to Replacement Level Morality. My name is Joseph. My name is Andrew. I know it's only 2023, Andrew, but would you be okay if we talked about 2024? I mean, it's, that's we're a political podcast. What else do we going to do? <laughs> eventually, you have to start talking about the next big thing, whether you want to or not. Yep. And that's that's clearly 2024. But I... I want to extend the conversation out even further than that because that's the story about 2024 has a lot to do with 2028 in my vision of it. And that is because the real story of 2024 that has just not yet reached penetration in the media is that it's really Gavin Newsom versus Ron DeSantis, but not against each other for the for the presidency. Okay. Explain. Okay. We we know the, the players here, right? We know Gavin Newsom, governor of California, is a meme onto himself as a representative of the political class of California that is defies ordinary description, right? Okay. He is the archetypal Californian governor that you can expect in this political moment. His politics, his appearance... The fact he has a wife that's an actress, but not a particularly successful one. Jeez. Yeah, like there's his his manner of speaking, the way that he presents himself, the, the fact that he is much more flash than substance, uh, his wanting to keep himself well coiffed and, and handsome. He is image conscious to an extreme and he is a man clearly believes he can be and should be president of the United States. This all sounds right to me. Is a fair description of Gavin Newsom? Yep. Checks out. What's Gavin Newsom's problem, Andrew? Uh, California is completely captured by institutional interests that won't allow anything to change, and the status quo is bad, so it just kind of looks like a, a failure. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about its actual problems, Andrew, as like a political leader or practical things. No, 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 no. Let's go much more like base level personal politics. What is Gavin Newsom's problem for his ambition? What's in his way for him to take the next step? He's a greasy used car salesman and everyone can see it. Well, okay. No, no, not that. I mean, that's also true, but but not that. (laughs) Not that. It's that he can't run for president in 2024. At oh least. yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> he can't do it. Why is that? Well, it, in normal t- in 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 the blind, he's positioned himself perfectly, right? He's won his second term as governor of California, right? He's that's that now he's not able to run for re-election, so he's has no other race to run for to burden him. This the, the Senate probably would be a downgrade from where he is presently, so he's not. It's not really something he's going to try and pursue in 2026 nor nor would it seem like uh, like a good idea for him to do so so that there's no other statewide office for him to pursue that would be on a national stage there's really only the presidency but the problem is of course there is an incumbent democrat president that has made it clear he intends to run for re-election in 2024 even if no one else wants him to so gavin newsom can't run for president in 2024 he he can run for president in 2028. 
Gavin Newsom has been familiar with politics since before yesterday and watched Chris Christie miss his moment and four years is an eternity. I think that's part of it. I think that uh, he looks at the field, though. You're right. Chris Christie missed his moment, but that's because Chris Christie was kind of in a, a field of peers oh. where that was a spot when he was elevated above them and he could have taken advantage of that. And because he didn't, he wound up mired in garbage especially because he was a Republican governor of a blue state. So there was a lot more incentive to try and take him down after his moment had passed. I think Gavin Newsom can play out his term, finish being governor in 2026. And then because he is no longer in office, spend two years just running for president before running for president, you know, like for him, that's going to be easier to like set up an organization to do a lot of fundraising, knowing that like, if, if my worst competition is going to be fucking Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, those two fucking clowns to, to run for the open seat after Biden finishes a second term. Oh, I got this right. Like I don't need to strike while the iron's hot. I can wait a little bit. These guys are going nowhere. I can crush them both. There's no, there's no democratic bench that's at his level, at least from an objective perspective of like, Yes, senators you have to worry about. There's not that many. None uh, have his none have his his stature. None have access to money and power the way he does as governor of California. He can buy all the friends he wants to buy right now and incentivize them to know that he would be a good candidate to back when the time comes in 2028, right? He's the governor of the most powerful and biggest state in the country. So you think he's he's content to just let things ride until 2028 if the chips fall where it seems like Biden is going to waltz to his party's nomination. If you're Gavin Newsom, you have two paths, right? One is force him out, which probably is difficult, bloody, and uncertain if you would be successful. You'd actually have to run in a competitive primary. People would bring up your negatives. You'd have to deal with a lot of interesting warfare. And you make a lot of people upset. And you it, might win, but it would be a hard slog and you would make no friends in the process. And it decreases your chances of winning in the general. Correct. But if you say, okay, uh, if I ins- – and there, there was a potential window if there was a big red wave in the midterms and Biden could potentially have been forced out for him to take advantage of that. And that was probably plan A, to be honest. He wanted there to be like a plus 40 house and a a Republican Senate. That is what Gavin Newsom wanted because it would have set the table for Joe Biden to be ushered out the door slowly. And then Gavin Newsom could ride to the rescue is like, oh, look at me. I'm an effective governing Democrat. I am the one that can now take the wheel. All of these people connected to Biden are are tainted by his failure. So never mind Kamala Harris. Never mind Pete Buttigieg. Never mind anyone in the cabinet. Never mind anybody who's been a close ally. I've been running my shop. And I can, you know, I can show you the path to victory. That didn't happen. So plan B, and if you recall, the very first thing he did after that big midterm election where Republicans underperformed and he won, you know, because the president called him, right? Called the successful candidate for governor of California. And so he got to talk to him right away, person to person to say, I'm going to be your biggest advocate, man. I'm going to be your biggest surrogate. I want to be out in front all the time. That's what he did is instead he's 
He sees the position as primary advocate because now it's in his interest that Joe Biden succeed at becoming a two-term president. It sets the table for him. So far, are you following me on this on this story arc? Yes. We I'm know starting what- to see how 2024 shades into 2028. I, the pieces are coming together. Yeah, this is like this is why it's the most fascinating tale because it really has to do with the fact that Gavin Newsom can't run for president in twenty twenty four. Like this, this is why this 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 combat is breaking out because what what's the other story? The story is on the other side. Trump's falling apart. He's becoming less and less popular with the Republican Party. He's becoming more obviously a lodestone on their electoral chances, and the likelihood of Ron DeSantis running at a minimum and potentially succeeding has has risen over the last three months. We'll say that. Yep. How much all depends on who you ask and what poll you look at. But clearly DeSantis is on the rise. Trump is on the fall. And this he has got his Chris Christie moment. And he's in a similar situation, of course, as Gavin Newsom just won his second term as governor. Two years, 2024 is going to be a perfect time for him to launch a presidential campaign. That's exact. There is no other move for him to make in his state. Senator would be a downgrade. Both of those seats are taken anyway. So being president is all he has to go for. But he can just run in 2024. In fact, he's incentivized to do so because Trump is such a, a toxic waste dump that defeating him now is going to be far easier than it ever was at any other time. He's already soft announced that he's running. Yeah, like it's all the pieces are coming into place. He is doing his fundraising. He is the Republican version of Gavin Newsom in terms of his political spot, except he has the advantage that he can take advantage of his circumstances now and maximize them and run for president. And boy, oh boy, would Ron DeSantis winning that nomination be the worst possible thing that could happen to Gavin Newsom? Oh, because now if he waits till 2028, he has to challenge an incumbent. incumbent. Ron DeSantis, rather than succeeding a Democratic president, he would have to challenge an incumbent Republican president. He would be facing somebody with a larger platform, with a a record that could potentially be one of success, depending on how things go. Hard to to know that far into the future, but if Ron DeSantis is good at being uh, president as he is being governor, it'd probably go okay, at least. And then suddenly you have to try and convince America that they should change course and America never often people don't like change. They have to be convinced of it. It's hard to beat an incumbent president. So if you're Gavin Newsom, number one thing you have to do, you must devote your life to stopping Ron DeSantis and stopping him. Now you have to make it so that Donald Trump beats him in that primary. That's your job. That's your whole life's ambition is 180% dependent on making sure that Donald Trump beats Ron DeSantis. If that does not happen, your political career is over. So what options does he have to make that happen? So right now it's just starting to warm up, but he is using his platform as governor of California to portray himself as the freedom state. And, Which is really funny. Oh, very. And 
talking shit about Ron DeSantis in Florida at every opportunity, up to and including um, he did an ad where he ran it in Florida telling Floridians that Ron DeSantis was enforcing vaccine mandates and that that wasn't freedom-oriented and they should rebel against him. Now, the vaccine mandates was for, like, measles, mumps, and rubella. Which, presumably, California also mandates, right? Correct. (laughs) But, yeah, that's just it. It's, like, so nakedly attempting to just appeal to this gutter instinct of people suspicious of power who are fans of Ron DeSantis. And not at all to like enhance the public trust or enhance public health or do anything good at all. Well, well this is politics, Joseph. There isn't even the, there isn't even the veneer though. There aren't even there's there's no need to even try to fake trying to do the right thing when you're doing that. You're just out and out saying, "Nah, fuck them." <laughs> like I'm going to try and convince the rubes uh, and idiots to rebel against their governor because he doesn't want them because he he doesn't want them to get measles. You know, like that's his literal position. Okay, so hopefully he has some better weapons available to him. I mean, we'll we'll see, right? This is the story that's going to play out. It's really just started. He did his whole uh, state of the state address, and it was him drawing a contrast with Florida and DeSantis specifically, and not like invoking him by name, but like referring to him by inference and setting up using the cover that he is. Biden's chief surrogate that he is really trying to make sure that he crushes Ron DeSantis's hopes by building a narrative that can be used by Trump to beat him in the primary. Let's be clear. Biden can't beat DeSantis. and Everyone knows that. Lock that in. So if it's Biden versus DeSantis, DeSantis wins by whatever we, number you want to come up with. He wins states. You probably never thought he could win. There's just going to be no enthusiasm to vote for Biden if it's not Trump that he's running against. The media can't make fetch happen when it comes to Ron DeSantis. They are aware of that increasingly more every day. You mean he listens to his wife is not a good hit? (laughs) (laughs) Or he he voted against Superstorm Sandy Relief in Congress 12 years ago in his first vote. And like, before he knew what was going on, right? They tried that one after the hurricane, remember? Yeah. Yeah. It's like he voted against federal relief and then took it. Yep, he sure did. And he won by 20 points. <laughs> no one cared. No one cared. He, run, he won Miami-Dade County. Clearly the man has, a, has the touch in getting people to just vote for him the same way like DeWine won by 20 and Vance won by 7. That Those votes in the middle there – it's gonna be a, it's gonna be the same thing. DeSantis is gonna win by tons of points in places where you're like Virginia, really New Jersey. Like it's gonna be like that. A lot of it's like very Susan Collins esque. Where no, these people know their state in a way that the all politics is national politics era doesn't really comprehend. To a part, a point that is true. Um, I think though that DeSantis can successfully nationalize the message because the message that he is using successfully in Florida is it's scalable where he can go to States and address their concerns just as long as he's got good researchers, right. And good instincts and do the same thing. 
you and know, that's, like, that's the part that DeSantis does really well is does his homework. Yeah. Reads the briefs. Yeah. Like he understands and is like, okay, well, if I need to get Pennsylvanians to vote for me, I'm going to find out. I'm going to find the spot I can get into there and be like, listen, I don't really care about if you voted for the brain damaged guy or not, or, you know, I did the guy I ran for governor, you know, was shitty. I understand that. But like, you've got national, you've got concerns that can only be solved on a national level with this, that, and that. And I am going to represent your interests. Uh, you, you tried to let Joe Biden deal with those and he just fucked it up. So why don't you let me actually do this? Hey, I have good news for Pennsylvanians. Turns out uh, Europeans need natural gas and <laughs> it's better if it comes from us than Russia. So Pennsylvania, get, please, yeah. please do a thing. National yeah, would security you like to be rich? It. <laughs> would you like a lot of, would you like a lot of euros in your pocket? <laughs> like, can it fix up your state real good with that? Yeah. So we all know that DeSantis beats Biden. That's, I think, unquestioned. It's can DeSantis beat Trump, which is perhaps un, an untested theory. Uh, but I think the, the possibility is there. So if you're looking to beat DeSantis, you have to beat him in that circumstance. And that means trying to play to the Trumpist right as hard as possible to get them to not support DeSantis. I've been trying to war game a debate, both like a official debate and a general debate between DeSantis and Trump. Cause that's obviously when you talk about 2024, that's what most people think about. The problem for Trump is Republicans liked when he just didn't let Joe Biden talk for an hour. And it was kind of awkward because that was, fighting and standing up to the left in a way that it wouldn't be if it's here's here's a successful Republican governor that you're just being a jerk to I don't know I mean the 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 way to beat Trump in these circumstances has always been to essentially this is what everyone refuses to do too because it, it seems crass and base and and not something a elevated public figure should do but you have to fight him on his terms because he's not actually very good at what he's doing he's just willing to do it he's willing to you know give people shitty names and interrupt them and tell them he throw them in prison and be crappy and be a shitty little dude and it gets a rise out of the people that love to love that kind of attitude cuz they they like the middle finger as we've established and you know, well, how did why did Jeb Bush fail? Because he tried to be dignified and to you know ask for an apology, you know, for his words, and he just refused and made him look weak. You know, like why did Hillary Clinton fail? Because Hillary Clinton felt like she could just be wonkish and more qualified that that would matter more than the animus. If he was wrong, and why did Joe Biden win? Well, because he said, "Come on, man, what the fuck." <laughs> you know, basically, a polite, "What the fuck, dude? Like, what's wrong with you?" You know, you just, you just like, you just gave voice to the feeling every American has that isn't a Trump cultist, which is, oh, fucking shut up, dude. You know, like, he just gave voice to it in that pure, pure moment of like, would you shut up, man? Would you just shut up? Like, that's why he won, because everyone was tired of Trump's bullshit. No one liked what Democrats wanted to do, but they would rather he be shut up. Right. And so, yeah. And, and there was a lot of split ticket 
Trump at the top and then Republicans down ballot or Biden at the top and Republicans down ballot to make sure that uh, Democrats couldn't do a lot of the things that they could do because they won Georgia. And ultimately sadness on the stack, you know, and and again, who caused that? Donald Trump. What happened, you know, two years later, all the Republicans except Donald Trump's Republican won easy, you know, statewide offices. There is a, we know what the problem is. And if Ron DeSantis merely finds his way of giving voice to that obvious concern and fighting Trump on his terms like that, I think he's, oh, he can manage it just fine. He has to be, the American people want something different. And we saw that most clearly in 2020 when it was, both of you suck. Both of you need to stop. Both of you need to chill. And I don't know if DeSantis is that guy in the both of you need to chill sense, but he is both of you suck without actually being Adam Kinziger about it. I think his path is when inevitably he's in a debate with the man and inevitably these conflicts start to arise and he's going to try and belittle him and say about how he begged for his endorsement and all this. So he's going to go down a road. Every single one of us knows he's going to go down because he's already started to Mm because he knows the threat's coming. Is to simply to say, like, Don, enough. All right, like, we get it. You you like attention. You like you like people to to genuflect before you. That's what you're into. That's what you get off on. Even say that way. It's why it's what you get off on. You know, be a little crude. Just enough. We got it. Do you have anything else to say? Do you have anything of substance to add? Are you actually going to do anything or are you just going to kvetch here and bitch and moan about how things didn't go your way last time? Because that's not useful. That's not leadership. That is the whinings of a preening old man past his prime, which is what you are now. So unless you got something to actually say, shut the fuck up. Trump would not let him get that many words uninterrupted. Well, no, you find the right way to do it and you just start with, do you have anything of, do you have anything to actually say? Or are you just going to diary of the mouth with your stupid insults again? You know, like some that just that brief. Like, is this it? Is this what you know? What we're all damned to forever with with you? Are you never going to show anything? And yeah, you just you throw them off if you just confront them. No one ever wants to. All right. So, so given this this mosaic that we've painted together, yes. What can Newsom do? To try to tip the scales. That's what I'm interested to see. I feel like Newsom's call is DeSantis is going to try and stake out ground that is still pretty in the in the primary, right? Once the general election happens, we all know things change. But in the primary, what is DeSantis's job? He has to stay pretty far to the right. And he has to show the correct level of fealty to right-wing beliefs while differentiating himself from Trump to say, I can actually win, I can actually be effective, Trump's past, whatever the argument ends up being, right? So if you're Gavin Newsom, the best thing you can do to try and prevent DeSantis from succeeding is attack all of the times and all of the circumstances in which his fealty to MAGA cultist priors is not being observed. 
So, for example, Ron DeSantis's uh, position on the abortion question is not fully embrace of the far right part of the caucus. Not even close. He has decided that the 15 week ban in Florida is perfectly fine. And he is not taking in another step forward. He doesn't want to talk about it, but he's said it like, no, this is it. That's the law. And that's fine by me. I'm not a pro abortion. I don't like it, blah, but that is the level of restriction that this state is comfortable with. And that is where it shall stay. Ron DeSantis is all about picking 60-40 fights, and that's not a 60-40 fight. Well, he's in the 60 already, right? Like, he's in the 60 spot. like, And that's brilliant because that's the spot the rest of the Republican Party needs to get to. And when he gets into the general, it's going to pay off huge because it's going to take – it's going to absolutely body block anything Biden tries to do to make it an issue to say, no, I think 15 weeks is fine. And so do most people, by the way. Like most regular normal ass people doesn't think you should have abortion on demand until the moment before birth. The fuck's wrong with you? You can finally turn it around to say, this is just like normal restriction that every other country on the planet has. Why is it not okay for the United States? What's the fuck's wrong with you? But if you're Gavin Newsom, that's what you have to emphasize. You have to like press that message out. Can Newsom do anything with the migrant stunts or do you just, does DeSantis just send a couple of busfuls to LA and shut him up. I think that that answer depends on if Democrats learn that Hispanic is not the group they need to focus on. We're trying to turn Hispanics into a homogeneous uh, political group is a huge error on their part. Like Mexicans are different than Cubans are different than, than El Salvadorians. And Sure, but they need to stop generational Hispanic, you know, uh, descended people are different than newer immigrants. Like, there the the parsing of like attacking DeSantis on this is difficult because he's popular with a lot of Hispanics because of his attitudes in regards to illegal immigration. That's a new dynamic that I don't think anyone's figured out yet. The Cubans love him; they love him. Like he, he got a ton of their vote. Yeah, but Cubans are their own. You can't replicate that nationwide. And at the same time, though, like Greg Abbott won easy in Texas and he and he took a huge portion of the kind of mixed ethnicity Hispanic vote in his state. Right. That's why I'm saying that's why I'm surprised you're saying that Democrats don't need to focus on that demographic. Like stopping the bleeding seems like priority number what one. What I'm saying me. is they need to find the right way to focus on it. They I don't uh, okay. think they, I don't think they've yet figured out the attack line, is what I'm saying. Like that. No one knows what to do with this yet because the dynamics have shifted in such a way that the way the Democrats would treat it in 2008 by going CC Puede and saying treating Hispanics as a as a unipart you know unified monoculture uh, that can be moved in one way or another is no longer the case, and that your position on a, on immigration is going to depend on nation of origin, your closeness to your ancestors' point of immigration. And what part of the country you live in right now, I think that the Democrats are not focusing on immigration as an issue because even the Hispanic vote thinks that the border should be secure. So they've got to find a new line of, of attack. And I haven't I have not concluded that they have succeeded on that. And I don't think that's an area where Gavin Newsom 
would push. I think he's going to push on abortion. I think he's going to push on invented, quote, freedom issues, end quote. I think he's going to do everything he can to point out any time Ron DeSantis does something that Donald Trump doesn't like or runs against things Donald Trump would prefer to try and gin up the conflict as much as possible. I am deeply looking forward to replying to every freedom issue that Newsom tries to promote with pictures of taped off playgrounds. I, I prefer uh, just the, uh, the costs of high speed rail. Yep. In or, California. Uh, the, there's a study recently of the, the cost of opening a new restaurant in California is like uh, the amount of lawyer hours it takes and yeah, all that I good mean, stuff. The, the, the high speed rail thing, to me, I mean, you point out the the playgrounds, and that's a, like an obvious personal libertarian issue of like you are restricting people's actual movement and basic choices in a way that's unacceptable. But from a political management perspective, that high speed rail story is absolutely everything that's wrong with California in one project. Oh, it's a ten that, out of ten. That the 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 interference from labor, the interference from environmental groups. The massive increase in cost as a consequence of those groups being able to basically do whatever they want within the process to the point where your contractors that are trying to actually build it don't want to build it anymore for almost any price. Like just Uh, run them off the project entirely. Along very similar lines, uh, the Environmental Protection Act was recently used to block the creation of a bike lane in California, which is just amazing yeah you you see this a lot with breakdowns within the democratic coalition in state politics in california because labor has much different priors than environmentalism they're all voting for the same people and they want desperately different things and then sometimes they want the same thing for, for different reasons and they're constantly jockeying for power with each other Uniparty rule is bad. Well, it's not really uniparty in the end. I guess that's the lesson, right? Like even uniparty rule ends up having a breakdown within its coalition just for different reasons. Right. But but yeah, not at the put, governor level. Put put a fucking bookmark on it, man. I'm telling you. You know, Chad uh would be uh president of the United States in his own mind, Gavin Newsom versus the scrappy uh, Ron DeSantis swampy state of Florida. Like it looking at it from his perspective, it must seem so unjust. If you're Gavin Newsom or, like you sh- or that you have to wait for, yeah, you know, Joe I'm, Biden after watching everything that uh, after watching him get lost and have to like, go get found by his wife. And yeah, like, like he's this guy's is clearly the guy unfit. My, my, my 2024 run. Are you serious? He's the one standing in your way. You should just get out of the way and make room for you. You've got an ego that size. I'm sure he thinks it. I'm sure he said it to people. But instead, he's going to carry water for him. He's going to set himself up. He's going to be patient. He's going to be a good boy. And your entire plan can get completely fucked over because this kind of awkward dude from Florida has found the secret magic to being an effective Republican politician and office seeker and could just usurp your opportunity and make it essentially impossible for you to succeed. 
And then suddenly your dreams of becoming president of the United States, something that's very practical and within your grasp to be one of the most, to be enshrined through history for the rest of time as one of the most powerful people ever to live, to be spoken of in the same sentences as Roman emperors, as, as men who wielded power on a global scale, and they will be stymied by some, some swamp dwelling <laughs> rotund ex Navy lawyer who had the finally had the good sense to realize that like maybe just being good at your job is really what people want. You know what else might affect the 2024 election? That's a hell of a segue, Andrew. I want you to continue. Whether there's still inflation happening. Well, what do you think? You're the economist here. Uh, I I think the last few months have been more promising than not. Uh, there's still a lot of, you know, uncertainty, obviously wide error bars, but uh, the Fed has shown a commitment that it didn't have in the 70s until Paul Volcker that, nope, we're just going to keep raising rates until it works. And the the expectation management, winning that is big game. I, yeah. I think we're on the backside. I think, I think we've passed peak inflation for this particular episode. But that's... Uh, that's just my that's just a gut check i i wonder where do you think they found the steel on their spine i really did not expect them to do one more rate hike and it looks like that's exactly what's going to happen i think that's just clearly the lesson of the 70s is you have to have the recession eventually so if you push it into the future you just have more inflation and then you still have the recession. This doesn't actually do anything. So you just you just have to bite that bullet. And it's kind of a success story for an independent central bank, except that it happened in the first place. But I don't know if that... All right. So I really wanted to get into this topic. Because um, I have I have a little bit of a background in this area. Not, not much, but I'm hoping to kind of be a... A bridge of listeners to a bridge to our listeners in terms of how to think about inflation. So there's there's really three schools of thought that that we that we care about, and I want to start with modern monetary theory. Are you, are you familiar with this? I too uh, practice witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> I also read Harry Potter and wish I was a wizard. <laughs> So modern monetary theory is, I'm going to surprise you by saying, completely correct. About? The whole thing. It's just right. What is it right about? So the core insight of modern monetary theory is that the this divide between fiscal and monetary policy isn't real. That they're actually just completely the same. That a... And this core insight, uh, this core idea is a fiscal deficit at the federal level is a surplus of dollars in nominal terms. That's completely true. Okay, fair fair point that they are not in any way, shape, or form disconnected and in fact will always be connected whether you want them to be or not. Like, that assertion is true. I'll grant that. But there's an end, therefore, that happens exactly sometimes. 
I'm, that, I'm glad and, we're and, I'm glad we're finally to the but therefore part of your statement earlier because I just about had a heart attack when you told me it was completely right. I just sat here waiting. I'm like, when is the but? When is the therefore? When is the but that means I need I needed it. So thank you, thank you for bringing that up. Now now continue. You're welcome. I'm here for you. They always said that the actual limit on federal spending is not any sort of uh, accounting reality that we would recognize or you would recognize from your from your time working with city budgets. Um, it's inflation. It's when the number of dollars that are a fiscal surplus that is the flip side of a federal government deficit because we paid that's in our currency. That inflation is actually the hard stop. And in all in all that means is when inflation happens, you raise taxes and or cut spending to break the inflation. And that's actually the hard limit. You may have noticed that that didn't happen. There, there was exactly zero political will to raise taxes in a time of inflation. Yes. In fact, nor, would there, nor would there ever be, to be completely blunt. So, so that's what I mean by the economics are correct. The political economy, not so much. No. Yeah. <laughs> you, you will have a very difficult time ever getting any informed political group to agree to tax themselves more. That's just the bottom line. When you cut taxes, they are cut forever. Indeed, the the response to inflation, the Inflation Reduction Act, which wasn't actually about inflation, but the Inflation Reduction Act spent a bunch of money, which is causes to be pain. inflationary. Yes. <laughs> so were the Fed to look at the you know six trillion in discretionary spending that came in twenty twenty one. And just say, okay, since fiscal and monetary policy are the same, are two sides of the same coin, we're going to raise rates to 4% preemptively. That would have been uh, my, my dream. I, I wish that the Fed were that independent, but it's not. Uh, it, it couldn't just say we're going to hard undo the policies of the political process. Yeah, th- th- it's actually kind of important for them to allow the consequences of the political process to play out so that, that their remedy can be accepted. Exactly. You know, like, yeah. Like if you're right, that's what should happen in like some sort of technocratically perfectly governed circumstance where they can just act independently and they have nothing they have to worry about ever about their decision-making process. But that's not the reality. Never is, never will be. And they have to allow damage to occur before they can say, Actually, here's going to be the answer to that damage, and we're going to start to implement it and demonstrate that we were right. Exactly. So the, the second school of thought that we're going to talk about is monetarism. Classical Keynesianism slash Milton Friedman slash John Taylor. And John Taylor's really the most important name there um, because he invented what is known as the Taylor Rule which continues to be basically undefeated in terms of you want low and stable inflation, this is what monetary policy should be. And to the extent that we don't follow the Taylor rule, it's mostly because of human hubris. We we have that in excess. 
Yes. <laughs> Sadly. So, so the biggest th- the the thing you need to understand for classical monetarism is MV equals PQ, where PQ is price times quantity. So that's that's essentially GDP. Uh, MV is the amount of money times the velocity of money. So if money is changing hands very rapidly, that's inflationary. Whereas if it's if everybody's holding on to the money that they're spending. That's because the demand for money is high, so it's deflationary. What a monetarist would say to someone who believes in MMT, the hard version, is sure, fiscal and monetary are two sides of the same coin. The fiscal, the government's fiscal policy is increasing V, and the Fed's policy would be to increase or decrease M. It doesn't, they're both on the same side of the equation. It doesn't, they're, they're just inverses of each other. And in the short run, especially given a supply chain crisis, quantity is fixed. So what changes is the price level. In the long run, you would hope that quantity adjusts. We call that economic growth when there's more stuff at the same price level. But that requires actual productivity growth. There's not... This is where monetary policy can be too much in its own head and think that it can solve all the problems with equations. But Q expanding or not expanding is purely a function of are your people more productive than they were last year? And, and that's where, you know, you hope the free market finds the solution, right? Like you can have this equation, but in the end, you have to. Q has to increase, then that's the incentive everyone has one way or another. Because you've stabilized the rest of the equation. So their ability to grow is dependent on if they've come up with some sort of innovation. The ability to do more with less. Correct. All right. I understand. What's the third school of thought? This is kind of the new kid on the block. And I'm, I I myself am a monetarist, but uh, I'm intrigued by this third idea called the fiscal theory of the price level. Are you familiar with this? Only in the most basic circumstances. I'm hoping you, a master economist, can tell me more. So so we're so the fiscal theory of the price level. All right. So everyone agrees. Fiscal and uh, monetary policy are the same thing. That's something that all three have in common. Yes. Basically, everyone accepts the political reality that you both are super linked and they're definitely not independent and any anymore. Like that, that died in the seventies. Everyone knows it. We pay our debts in our currency. If if we ever default, it will be hyperinflation. Not, not just we can't pay our debts because we can print more dollars. It's just. Does that mean that we have right? But we we have a responsibility to the rest of the global financial system to balance this equation properly, such that we only have a reasonable amount of debt that we are able to pay with a reasonable amount of dollars, because it is that responsible management of our our monetary policy that underpins all of the financial transactions in the whole of the world. Something, by the way, that the whole of the world pays us to do by buying our debt at incredibly bargain prices whenever we want to issue it. Like the codependency here is is amazing, right? The rest of the world needs the United States to keep its shit together and to be the most powerful thing in the world because that allows them to transact with confidence. 
and using us as the means to do so. And our price is just when we issue our 30 year bonds at one and a half percent, you're going to fucking buy them. (laughs) And they do. You have just described the fiscal theory of the price level. Oh, good. (laughs) To the T. That's it. Yeah. It is the, the, the only source of inflation. The reason we had like so much fiscal expansion in 2008 and it wasn't inflationary at all. It's because everyone knew we could pay our debts. So given that we could pay our debts, there's no reason to expect future inflation. As long as our debts are manageable in a purely fiscal sense, there's no reason to expect inflation. It's, it's, it's resilient to relatively small changes in monetary policy. Because we saw for years that there's no there there was no variance there wasn't even like small ups and downs on a line graph hovering around two percent it was just inflation was exactly what we expected almost without even trying because we were we were off taylor rule we were off we were doing all sorts of stuff kind of didn't matter what the only thing that will cause hyperinflation is if markets become not confident in the US federal ability to repay its debts that's that's why it's called that it's it's in the name it's well, it's very well named and, and while the united <laughs> states is occupying what what what's i i for, i used to know this off the top of my head a couple of years ago i'm going to look it up now but as a challenge to you, because you're the more economically oriented, what what percentage of global GDP is the United States? What do you think it is for 2022? I'm going to say 15%. 24.16%. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was going to be close to a quarter of the world's economy. That's what I remember it being. So if there's a $94 trillion world economy in the United States, is $23 trillion. We are so large relative to every other player in the space, and the only one with mastery of the technology that makes global financial transactions happen, like we invented it, right? The internet's an American thing. Swift is an American thing. As Swift we is an American thing. Like we, we, we are not only the biggest player, we run all of the things that make it work, right? And we don't it, – it doesn't cost much to be part of this system. I mean, there would have to be an economic collapse of truly calamitous portions such that everyone looks at the player that's a quarter of the world economy and say they can't fucking handle their shit anymore. We don't have confidence in them anymore. Like, imagine the level of disruption necessary for that to occur. It's almost un- it's almost unimaginable. It's like a, I don't think it could happen absent alien invasion or nuclear war, right? Like, it's just not possible. And, and that's why, as a as a fiscal theorist would argue, if I get if I owe you a hundred bucks, a thousand bucks to make it easy, and I give you a ten year T bill, I basically paid my debt. It's it's T bills and cash are basically the same thing. They are, and I, I guess I'm a, a fan of of theory number three. Then that's definitely how I've always understood the real politic of fi- of fiscal and monetary policy relative to the rest of the world 
And it's interesting to circle back to thinking about this in terms of inflation, right? Like, so why did inflation happen? Well, purely to keep that equation balanced. Inflation had to go up because we were got so buck wild with our discretionary spending that American wealth had to be drained from the pockets in order to ensure that the that that the equation remained balanced. And it's worth emphasizing just how insane we went. Uh, I am old enough to remember when Obama spent like nine hundred and fifty billion because it was kind of gauche to spend a trillion in in the same all in the same bill. Right. Yeah. Just trimmed it just to get under that amount. So you didn't have to say it was a trillion dollar bill. And now Joe Manchin's basically a Republican for only wanting to spend like six just out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, and it, it was, this was the predicted consequence too. I mean, I saw it firsthand working for the city of Cincinnati and how much money the city received through ARP. Okay. So think of this in terms of your personal finances. You're a municipality. You're making it work. You have to have a balanced budget every year. You know, you can only spend what you bring in. Can't issue debt for your operating expenses. That's not allowed. And your operating expenses to run your whole city operation soup to nuts is say $400 million. Okay. And that's barely getting by, but that does it all right. That that's all of your police, all of your fire, all your general fund expenses. Sure. You've got like, you know, you got your waterworks and they've got their revenue and all that. Stuff. But like all the stuff the taxpayers are paying for quote unquote, one way or another through income tax to smaller ones. It's not $400 million. Right. And, and think about that in terms of your personal finances. Let's say, you know, you're in a, a stable white collar employment. You're able to save a small amount, but the the amount that you clear uh, after you've paid for all of your expenses is probably what ten percent of what you've made, right? So ninety percent of what you've brought in went to just making the machine work, right? Paying for the house, paying for the bills, taking care of emergencies, so on and so forth. Enjoying yourself too, but so if you make $100,000 a year, maybe 90 of that goes towards roughly towards making the machine work and maybe 10 gets squared away between retirement and personal savings and what have you. That's normal, I think, for a lot of people. Imagine then being the city of Cincinnati and being told by the government, they come knocking on your door. Hey, city of Cincinnati, it's the feds. Hey, feds, what's up, bruh? Well, not much, boys, but... We decided that we want to help everybody out because it's tough times out there, you know, and we want to make sure you can pay, uh, pay all your bills. So we're going to show up and we're going to, we're just going to infuse you with a whole ton of cash and we're going to give you all of the license necessary for you to use that to pay your bills. And if you're the city of Cincinnati and it's like, well, I mean, things have been great. We've had to make some changes. We had to make some cuts, you know, cause this was a big disruption, but you know, like. I don't think we need too much help. What do you, what is it going to be? 20, $30 million? Nah, bro. Here's $280 million. Have fun. Enjoy. That, that is many dollars. Imagine being a normal human and someone rolls up and gives you 75% of your operating expenses for the year in cash and said, just find a way to spend this over the next five years. 
even just as revenue replacement. So it's basically laundered back into your general fund. No problem. So it would be like if someone came up to this hundred thousand dollar, you know, norm, normal wage earning person and said, here's $75,000. Enjoy. All you got to do is spend it on yourself. And it includes laundering it through your normal process. <laughs> so you can just save it if you want to. But if you just want to go buck wild and just spend it, you can. Uh, the amount of stuff that the economy produced that year didn't change. Correct. And imagine repeating that process for every fucking municipality, every county, and every state in the entire country. Of course you had inflation. That, that, that is literally too much money chasing too few goods. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. It was insane. It was absolutely crazy that they did this. And they did it. They spread all of that money out across all of these places and said, there, now you're taken care of. Except now, depending on where you were or what you wanted to do, what the circumstances for your particular place that you lived, either you lived in a well-managed, tidy municipality, perhaps near the Ohio River within Southwest Ohio that saved a lot of the money because they realized that prices were just going to skyrocket for everything. We need to marshal these resources carefully because if we just go out into the market and try and spend it, that's what everyone else is going to do. And you can't find any you know, thing to buy. And it's 18 months to get a freaking sewer pump. Not that I know that personally or anything. Or you go out there and whatever price someone quotes you for things and you just spend them on stuff. You spend it on, 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 on uh, development. Maybe you spend it on social services. Maybe you spend it on nonprofits that show up with their hat in hand because suddenly the spigot is on and everyone knows it. It's like, yeah, that, that's going to cause inflation. You did it. You did exactly the thing necessary to cause macro level inflation. You gave every single government way too much money and no direction on how to use it. And that can happen even if fundamentally we can pay our debts, which yeah. is ultimately why I'm still a monetarist and not a fiscal theorist. I, I, I think that it's an interesting conversation that we just had of like there's these different theories. They all have an element of truth to them. Modern monetary theory may have introduced the idea that you really can't separate fiscal and monetary policy, and that's true. But it's – the rest of it's uh, – Provisions in regards to, in, you know, inflation never being real unless you want it to be. That you just spend whatever amount of money you want and you just print money and it's not really inflationary. I think that's finally dead and buried, right? Like that's over now. Right. And they would always couch it in you're limited by real factor productivity, which is why I say that it's true because that's true. If you're only – if you only spend – to the point of what your economy is actually capable of producing, then of course your federal budget deficits doesn't matter, but that's, that's a little, that's very circular. So there was this whole Mott and Bailey game that was played where the core tenets of MMT was, were obviously true. And then there would be an implied. And since deficits are actually surpluses for the economy as a whole, it doesn't actually matter. And we can do whatever. And that was never what the, correctly formed version of the theory implied, but a bunch of people ran off claiming that it did with very predictable results. Yeah. The most predictable results. Larry Summer was out there in the streets, begging anyone to hear him. I'm like, this is dumb. 
Emrakul's in the moon! <laughs> like, guys! It's, she's in the moon! We saw her get put there! It was the weird lady from Kamigawa and the goth guy from Ravnica. They did it! I watched! Uh, as both... We met playing Magic the Gathering, so, so we promise our Magic playing audience should that should anyone exist in that category, you're gonna get some occasional nuggets like this. Yeah. Now I I it is a shame though. I mean, we shouldn't take you take the camera away from the fact that inflation was caused. People want to blame the six hundred dollars. That wasn't it. It wasn't it at all. It was the hundreds of millions of dollars that was handed out to municipalities. And that filtering through the economy absolutely led to the inflation that we see. And it's a shame that the consequence of that inflation is not only going to be borne on the on governments who that now have increased costs and less resources, but also that it was really born from reduced spending power of the individual consumer. It is in, that is... It started with ARP, but it ends with you paying $4 for a dozen of eggs, which is a thing now. You know, it's like quadrupled in price, you know, that, and that's, that's not the only thing. Like I, I remember buying, I was lamenting to Andrew, my cat's ability just to consume mass quantities of wet food. I remember when a can of Frisky's pate wet food was 40 cents and now it's 80 cents. You know, like th- this is across the board. You've had an increase in cost of goods and services, and it all comes back to a, this this huge tidal swell that occurred from injecting all of this money, no matter if it was needed or not. I like to evaluate my podcast consumption by, did you learn something above replacement level? Uh, uh, did you did you learn something above replacement that was that you wouldn't have learned from another podcast? And uh a detailed preview into 2024 and trying to give our listeners some fish where the fish is. Now you know how to think about inflation for yourselves. Hopefully we've, we've podcasted above replacement level. And if you think so, uh, please like share, tell a friend, tell a friend's a big one. Uh, anyone that you think would enjoy this. Uh, yes, absolutely. Andrew is correct. We don't try to shill too much, but we would like to grow our audience. If you like what you're listening to, spread it around however wish you wish to do so. Like, share, subscribe, rate it wherever you're listening to it. Uh, anything you can do would be appreciated. And we'll see you next week. <laughs>